Chief Secretary, Finance Chief, and the Justice Minister. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. The time's 8.03 in Hong Kong. This is Peter Lewis with the business headlines for Wednesday the 18th of May. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said on Tuesday that the US Central Bank wants to see economic growth slowing and clear evidence of inflation decelerating before ending monetary tightening. He said if we don't see that, then we'll have to consider moving more aggressively with interest rate rises. Mainland China reported a total of just over 1,000 COVID cases on Tuesday for May the 16th. That was down by a quarter from the previous day. The People's Daily said on Tuesday that all of Shanghai's 16 districts have reached the standard of zero COVID at the society level, with a city of 25 million people reporting no community infections for a third straight day. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He met technology executives and industry experts yesterday and pledged support for technology companies as the economic slump worsens. He said China must support the platform economy and sustain the healthy development of the private economy. He added that China should better balance the relationship between the government and the market and support digital companies to list on domestic and foreign exchanges. Elon Musk tweeted on Tuesday that the deal to buy Twitter cannot move forward until he has clarity on bot numbers. Mr. Musk said he was waiting for information, supporting Twitter's calculation that spam or fake accounts represent less than 5% of users. My offer was based on Twitter's SEC filings being accurate, Mr. Musk tweeted early Tuesday morning. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson at IMA Asia, Jessica Tia from BNP Paribas, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Woods. And do please get in touch with any questions or comments. Text 6393-5925. Email moneytalk at rthk.hk. Take a look at our Facebook page. We have daily updates there on business and finance news, on Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks rebounded from their lows of the year. Technology shares helped push the S&P 500 index 2% higher to 4,089. The S&P 500 is coming off a six-week losing streak, its longest since 2011. And year-to-date, it's down 14.2%. The Dow added 431 points, that's 1.3%, ending the session at 32,655. The Nasdaq Composite surged 2.8% to 11,985 for 2022 so far. The Tekka Heavy Index has lost 23.4%. In Europe, the Stock 600 Index climbed 1.2%. London's FTSE 100 added three quarters of a percent. And here in Hong Kong, stocks rose to an almost two-week high, helped by a report from J.P. Morgan Chase upgrading uh, upgrading the rating on some large technology companies, saying that uncertainty had receded in the industry. The firm's technology analysts upgraded their recommendations on at least 15 Chinese tech companies, from underweight to overweight. Two months ago, they described China's technology sector as uninvestable, 
The companies on the list showed the biggest increases in Hong Kong on Tuesday, with Alibaba rising 7%, gaming company NetEase up 6.4%, Tencent rising 5.3%, and food delivery giant Metuan up 6.2%. They helped fire up the Hang Seng Tech Index, which surged 5.8%. The broader Hang Seng rose 652 points, or 3.3%, to 20,603. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed 0.7% to 3,094. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil this morning is down 1.3% at $112.80 a barrel. Gold is trading half a percent lower at $1,814 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 11 basis points to 3%. And the US dollar index dropped 0.8% in a third day of falls. The euro rose by, by its most in more than two months, up 1.1% to $1.05.5 cents. The Japanese yen is at 129.4 versus the greenback. Sterling rallied 1.4% to just under $1.25. That's its biggest daily rise since October 2020. And against the local currency, it's at $9.80. The Chinese yuan is at 6.74 versus the dollar in offshore markets. The Hong Kong dollar traded at 7.85 against the US currency, the lowest end of its trading band for a sixth consecutive day. And Bitcoin is up almost 2% at $30,400. And Asia-Pacific stock markets are seeing a rally this morning on the back of Wall Street's rise. The SX200 in Australia up 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan shortly after the open up over 1%. The Cosby in South Korea has risen 0.8%. And futures markets pointing for a gain, looking at a gain of about 60 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 809. Let's welcome our Wednesday guests. With me here in Broadcasting House, we have Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning. Good evening, Barry. And we have a debutante on Money Talk this morning, Jessica Tia, Investment Specialist of Asia Pacific Equities and Greater China Equities at BMP Paribas. Welcome, Jessica. Good morning, Peter. And over in Washington, D.C., as always on a Wednesday morning, we should find our international economics correspondent in <laughs> fine fettle, Barry Wood. Morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, everyone. The American Chamber of Commerce in China said in its latest white paper that the United States and China should work on real plans for commercial and political engagement on an issue-by-issue -issue basis while refraining from the public use of inflammatory and unhelpful rhetoric around value-based differences. And Jem says the costs of decoupling will be significant and generate uh, no clear winners. The organisation also called on both sides to work together to strengthen public health infrastructure and refrain from politicising the pandemic response. And it added that in the past, what has made China attractive to our member countries, companies, has been the country's clear long-term strategic development goals, significant market opportunity, and a highly supportive and predictable business environment. But they said today, our members feel that the business environment has become a lot less predictable, largely due to the pandemic and its related restrictions. Mark, we've spoken about this before. It's a similar thing your members here have been reflecting, isn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. It's, it's the situation and it's just, 
it's very disruptive. A sort of summary of a meeting we held recently, one member said most people believe that we're not at the end of disruptions, we're going to have a lot more coming. And that's the situation, of course, in China in particular. One of the things they're trying to do is, of course, the goal is admirable. You want to try to get out the rhetoric and try to focus on uh, on real issues that you can really move 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 forward on on a lot of these. But the political atmosphere on both sides has made that very difficult. So the behind the scenes talks and so on, which are going on, which have even been going on in Hong Kong between business groups and the government, sometimes have the most chance of of moving forward. But it, as was mentioned, it's not predictable. I mean, ne- nothing's ever predictable, but even less predictable anymore. And with the lockdowns, that's really hit companies hard. I think Bloomberg came out and said uh, they, they estimated 180 companies have been affected by the lockdowns. We have over 300 companies or members, and I'd estimate at least three quarters say they've been selected by the affected by the lockdowns, which is, seems to be a little bit more than, than 180, just looking at that small group. Do you agree with Am Chan when they say uh, that China is becoming less attractive to businesses and companies because of uh, the uncertainty over the restrictions and the pandemic? Yeah, they're worried about the medium-term effects, not just the short-term effects. As was pointed out in terms of investment and so on, of course, part of that comes from headquarters, and, and Barry might want to comment on that. But certainly, and what some companies are saying, even though China's a really important market and they've done very well, is they when they look at scenarios, one of those scenarios now is cutting back in China to some extent. Now, some of them, many of them maybe won't do it, but it's for the first time for many of these companies, this has come up as a as one of the one of the areas they're considering. Jessica, from an investment perspective, how big an issue are the deteriorating relations between China and the U.S. and how much are they worrying um, in investors into the markets? Indeed, this is probably one of the biggest uh, risks uh, for China equities. It's uh, this geopolitical you know, tensions rising, uh, this strategic competition you know, between U.S. and China. So this is probably one of the, I would say, unknown risks in the, in the very long term. And it has been very clear now, and I, I concur with uh, what has, um, Mark has uh, just said now, the political uh, atmosphere is extremely tense between mm-hmm. the, the, two, uh, the two countries. And... We have recently uh, heard about, like, following this uh, Ukraine-Russia situation. Um, now the, the the U.S. is pushing for trade to become more regional uh, or more like alliance-based, uh, contrary to the global approach, which used to like uh, long benefit China uh, from um, from from the global global approach. So I think they are talking about NATO for trade. Um, so. Clearly, I mean, the decoupling um, uh, is something that uh, the developed markets are looking for um, to accelerate. Um, we believe that indeed for uh, China equity, um, for, for China markets, what would be very uh, critical to watch is also to see how they will manage to counter the long-term Sino-US tensions, um, where I have already seen it through this dual circulation policy, which aims to strengthen the domestic sector while reducing reliance on external sectors. In the short term, probably this um, decoupling will be very hard to implement quickly because this will be a very slow-moving um, process. It will take time for you know, diversification of the supply chains. And when you look also at uh, the source of ADI, 
FDI inflows uh, China is uh, among the top of them in, in, in the region. But indeed, in the long term, um, and this is actually one of the view um, communicated by our senior strategist at BNP Paribas Asset Management, is that we may potentially see actually a new paradigm of um, regionalism where you have we will see like blocks constituting in the over the long term so let's say one block in Asia will be probably led by China one block um, in America will be led by the US and the the block in the Europe will be led mostly by by, by France or or, or and, and Germany. It's a depressing thought, Jessica, I'm afraid. But yeah, I think you're right. It is indeed. Sh- shades of George Orwell. But <laughs> Barry, this is getting worse, though. Is it? It's only going to get worse, isn't it? Because you've got a bill moving through Congress um, in in the United States, which which wants to clamp down even more on China and on Chinese companies. Yes, it could get worse, but it could get better. I think the big first of all. To come back to that AmCham statement or report, no surprise, the American business community wants to do business in China. They want to sell to China. They want to, in fact, expand in China. And they're on their back foot because, as you just said, measures in Congress, bipartisan support against further liberalization of Chinese trade. And the real question, I think, Peter, is what's going to happen to these duties that the Trump administration put on Chinese goods? We've got uh, $250 billion of products, 6,000 items that are still subject to these Trump tariffs. That's ranging from 7 to 25 percent. And what you've got is a fight, a fight between the Treasury Department, Janet Yellen, who wants at least some of those measures to be relieved so Mm -hmm. that the inflationary pressure is relieved. And then you've got Catherine Tay at the USTR who's saying, hold it, let's see what China can do to make things better. I don't think I would want to bet against the Treasury Department in this, but it could all be announced within the next few weeks. And and our companies in the States also reflecting what Amcham said about uh, the the uncertainty now, the unpredictability, of the pandemic restrictions in China. It's making the country less attractive for businesses. Well, it is indeed. But at the same time, the problems in Shanghai and the problems in Chinese ports, I mean, that's why Walmart is having trouble getting products. So, Mm. uh, you know, it's very instructive to get inside a Walmart and you still see that, uh, what, 50, 60 percent of the products are all made in China. And now they're not reaching that. And that's probably the reason that Walmart has downgraded its uh, forecast for the year. But yes, I think there's big concern, and we'll see how it plays out. But uh, this is not a fast-moving train, but a slow-moving train. But I'm not sure, Peter, and I, I really agree with what Jessica said. We could have rival trading blocks emerge. That's the worst-case scenario. I think the best-case scenario is going to be that the Biden administration says, hold it, we've got a big inflation problem. Let's at least make the prices of some of these Chinese goods cheaper. Yeah, I hope Barry's right on the, on the, on his latest on his latest side. Yeah, from in terms of supply chain, what a lot of companies are saying, demand has never been high, high, uh, higher for a lot of their products. They just can't but get they can't it. Get them. They can't get yeah. them. And it's, you know, it's not gotten better, it's gotten worse and this is what they're hoping the eases as well, which is a lot harder to do, but part of it is it also does is affected by U.S.-China relations to some extent. Jessica, how is how is this COVID shock in China um, reverberating around Asia? Because it's 
companies all around the region, all around the world are being um, affected by this, aren't they? They can't get parts, uh, they, they can't manufacture, they've, they've got long delays going into weeks now uh, to receive some crucial uh, supplies. Yeah, indeed, the situation is uh, very tense at the moment. Um, the activity is slumped, uh, given this very widespread lockdown, uh, as we have seen. Um, to give you a few numbers, uh, like, for example, retail sales went down by minus 11%, industrial production by minus 2.9%. Um, and we have seen a lot of supply chain disruption, which has uh, weight on both production and, and investment. Uh, that said, um, the numbers posted uh, shows that the fixed asset investment held up better, um, went up by plus 2.3%. Um, so th this is actually that showing that infrastructure manufacturing investment actually showed uh, positive growth. Uh, but all in all, indeed, uh, the situation has been quite, uh, quite, quite tough, and, um, and the supply chain, like normalization, that we start to see now with the gradual reopening of uh, Shanghai, is still constrained by the interstate uh, logistic bottlenecks. So that is why we think that to probably stabilize the market and, and in the medium term overcome this situation, it would be very critical for the Chinese authorities to really come up with um, a clear, transparent roadmap on the vaccination rollout. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be extremely uh, helpful uh, in, order, uh, in order to better like um, strike you know, the this fine balance between on one hand maintaining the economic growth and on the other hand uh, maintain, maintaining the zero COVID uh, policy. Barry, this, uh, this economic data out of China, um, it was really dire. It was worse than pretty well all economists forecast. And we've now got uh, economists out here forecasting that uh, China's going to go into contract is going to contract its economy this year and heaven forbid could even go into recession if these uh, lockdowns don't end uh, soon what sort of impact is that going to have on the American economy and and the global economy well when you're number two in the world you're going to have a big impact just as a recession in the United States would occur I always remember that there was uh, a fellow at the Peterson Institute of International Economics, who said, hold it, 3%, 4%, even 5% growth in the Chinese GDP is a recession. Because if you've been used to 9%, you slow down that much. So yeah, I think it would have a big impact. But the big impact already is the inability to get product. And that's only going to get worse because you've got a lag time. You know, it takes a couple of weeks for these ships to get across the Pacific Ocean, and you've still got a big problem at the Chinese ports. Who would have thought we'd be saying that six months ago? But we are, and it's even worse than what we're seeing in the West Coast United States ports. The Chinese government, Mark, they're talking about sticking with the zero COVID policy and at the same time rolling out stimulus to try and boost the economy. We saw in particular from that data, uh, the property sector hit really badly. Can they have all these things together, you know, stimulus, a reviving economy and zero COVID? I think the FT called it the impossible trilemma, where they talked about debt as well. I mean, obviously, obviously it's difficult. And, you know, that's why there's, there's speculation that this is going to ease over time. But it's a question of what the timing will that be, because it's a very political year in, in China as well as, as in the United States. I mean, today are primaries, which, which Barry well knows, which might be indicative in the U.S. as well. But you know, in China it is, and I'm not sure how much flexibility they're going to have. So obviously it's something we're going to have to watch very carefully. Something's going to have to give some Yeah, it seems, you know, logically it seems that it will. 
And maybe Hong Kong, it's been mentioned before, Hong Kong might be a testing area for that as Hong Kong changes and eases up a little bit. Maybe that will be applied to some extent in China. We'll see, I guess. Jessica, we had Chinese Vice Premier Lu He yesterday meeting technology CEOs and uh, industry experts. His pledged support for technology companies. He said China's got to support the platform economy sustain the healthy development of the private economy and better balance the relationship between the government and the market. The problem is, he said this about two months ago as well, didn't he? A similar similar sort of thing. But are, are you getting any sense that maybe the tech crackdown is coming to an end and, the, and this sort of clash between um, policies and boosting the economy and the market is going to be resolved? Yeah, indeed. Um, we believe that clearly from what we're seeing on the ground is that the, the, the peak of those regulatory intensity is probably now behind us because last year was really about the policy uh, normalization and announcement. And, and this year is more about growth normalization. So what really matters in priority to the Chinese officials are I mean, is um, focusing on growth stability. That's the overriding priority. Um, so we are. We believe that actually tech will still remains a very important sector for uh, China. Uh, and actually, when we talk about tech, you know, those regulations last year was mostly focusing on the internet companies, which is a subset of the the tech universe. But as you know, tech is extremely vast. For you know, your this is ranging from soft tech to hard tech, and obviously there are uh, especially a lot of work, especially on the high tech manufacturing, and so tech remains key because it will help not only withstand those external pressures like the um, tensions with the U.S., but also to especially to improve the productivity uh, of the economy. So but there's, there's some yeah. key things we need to see, isn't there? For example, take DD Global; its app still banned from the app stores on China nine months um, you know, after they were removed. We still have no clear sense of how AMP Financial is going to be restructured. The government obviously wants to do it, uh, but it hasn't come to a conclusion about to how. So despite all the talk, we need to see some real action, don't we? Indeed, but um, those restructuring will take time. And uh, saying today that those uh, companies are totally out of the woods would be, uh, I mean, not realistic. Um, we need to see more time for them to look through, uh, go through all those you no know, restructuring. And what we are seeing on the ground is that some uh, internet companies, despite all those regulatory intensity, still have considerable competitive advantage to deliver uh, stable, although not significant, uh, growth. Uh, they still have room to improve for the margins because they are still like leading in their uh, respective industries. But obviously, uh, given you know the, t the regulatory you know tensions and the uncertainties. We remain extremely, I mean, cautiously selective in this space, and we believe that uh, indeed this is going to be a, uh, I would say, a tough call in the short term for, uh, for, 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 for investors. Yeah, you saw Xi Jinping's remarks that he actually made in December were just released, where he again criticized the accumulation of wealth. Obviously, pointing at a lot of tech companies as, as well, which seemed to send the others. Well, this is in, it doesn't uh, chime with what Liu He no, was no, saying. Then, and, Liu, really? and what worries me, as we talked about before, is Liu He might not be in the next administration, which is which will be a big loss for all of us because he's uh, he's very good on these policies and very international in his in his experience and outlook. But I, I just wanted to make one positive note that one of our our members said in looking at all this that we've been talking about. He said. In the past, I've usually tried to balance my forecast and make it more realistic. Now I'm pushing the other way. 
for the first time in years. I'm telling headquarters to relax. There are challenges, but we will see how we can overcome them. Okay. So, so mildly positive. Now, I want to ask you about Jerome Powell. He was talking about um, the central bank, the Fed, is going to carry on raising interest rates until economic growth slows, and he sees clear evidence of inflation decelerating. Is, is this anything different or new from what he's been saying before? Well, yes, I think it's uh, a matter of some nuance. But, you know, he did say that uh, families are going to feel more pain. And he doesn't like to say that. I think he's aware that uh, the challenge is, is really quite formidable, particularly when you had retail sales that went up in April and the March figure was revised up as well. Mm. So the consumer still is residually spending money. And I think in one sense that complicates his his program, but he's going to stay with it because I'm convinced he's determined to slay this inflation dragon. Do, do you think, though, I mean, he's saying he wants to slow the economy but not put it into recession. That's a trick that's very hard for central banks to do, isn't it, particularly when they're raising interest rates um, so aggressively. We don't normally see them manage to do that. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a bit like, uh, as you said that, I, I thought... It's, it's like Elon Musk bringing that rocket back from space and landing it on a, uh, a platform in the ocean. I mean, this is, this is not easy. Mm. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's a tough job. Certainly, we're going to get a slowdown. The question is, will we get a recession? And if so, how severe? Uh, are your members ready, Mark, for um, aggressive interest rate rises? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they're ready, but they're certainly uh, certainly concerned about that. But in the, you know, in the short term, they have a lot of other ones, some of which we've just mentioned, and inflation. Obviously, the other thing we haven't talked about. Some people are seeing thirty, forty, fifty percent rises in a lot of their their inputs and in salaries. Jessica, do you think the markets have fully priced in just how aggressive the Fed is going to be here? Yeah, we believe that indeed and there's a number of countries that have been really preparing, I would say, for this uh, Fed um, policy tightening um, and a number of uh, economies, especially in the Asian region, uh, which presented uh, already quite uh, strong inflationary pressures like India, um, uh, have already like uh, hiked uh, rates. But um, we, the big major difference that we're seeing, so I'm really talking from the perspective of uh, I mean, Asia versus the world, is that compared to like the past cycle in 2013 uh, during Tapotentrum, the fundamentals of a, a number of Asian economies have been very different. Uh, this time, what we're seeing is that fiscal uh, current accounts, uh, the inflation level overall for the economy have been actually quite um, in, in better shape. So this will provide some flexibility uh, in terms of uh, macroeconomic, monetary and, and fiscal policy. And even if we have seen some countries uh, like uh, South Korea, Australia, uh, Singapore, India, uh, starting already to hide rates, uh, sorry, to, yeah, to hike rates, the other economies actually have more flexibility, like, uh, for example, uh, those economies in, the, uh, in ASEAN, uh, China, Japan is actually uh, taking uh, the, yeah. the reverse step, uh, okay. given that China is uh, going towards more easing. Um, Barry, final word to you. I want to ask you about Twitter. Um, Elon Musk says the deal to buy Twitter can't move forward until he has clarity on these numbers of fake and spam accounts. He said on Friday that a deal at a lower price wasn't out of the question. Is he looking for a way out here? I don't think so, but he's uh, he's being tough. And, uh, you know, here's here's uh, an anomaly. 
that the that the CEO, current CEO of Twitter, cannot say with any certainty whether it's five or twenty percent mm. that are accounts with Twitter that are bots. And I think Musk is saying, hold it, you said five percent, now you're hedging. What is the number? So he's playing hardball, but he's also in trouble, Peter, with the SEC because they really don't like the way that he sort of was so public in the way that he bought these shares, and he may have violated some security rules. Okay, well, thank you very much there for your thoughts. You heard there uh, Barry Wardow, international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Jessica Tia, investment specialist for Asia-Pacific equities at BNP Paribas, and Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. And down in Australia, the SX200 is up 1.2% now. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen one and a third percent. The Cosby also up well, about 0.6%. Uh, futures markets pointing for a gain of about 60 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for COVID updates with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton right after the 8.30 news. The weather forecast, mainly fine and dry. The maximum temperature will be around 27 degrees and the outlooks for a few showers in the next few days. Sunny intervals on Friday. The temperature right now, 23 degrees. There is a red fire danger warning in force and the relative humidity is 46%. The Times 8.32 is Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. There's been a slight increase in the number of COVID infections reported in Shanghai, though no new cases were found outside quarantined areas for a fourth day. The Financial Hub reported 759 new local asymptomatic cases and 96 infections where people actually fell ill. The combined figure is 33 more than yesterday. There was also a slight increase in Beijing with a total of 69 local cases up by 17. Overseas, the U.S. Justice Department is suing Las Vegas and Macau casino mogul Steve Wynn in an attempt to force him to register as an agent for the Chinese government. They say he contacted former President Donald Trump and, and members of his administration in 2017 to convey a Chinese request that they cancel the visa of Chinese businessman Guo Wenghui who had sought asylum in the United States. Mr. Wynn's lawyers have denied the allegations, saying he never acted as an agent of the Chinese government. Back locally, Chief Executive John Lee says his new financial secretary will oversee the Development Bureau and a revamped housing body. Mr. Lee made the remarks after the Executive Council endorsed a government revamp that includes a new culture, sports and tourism bureau and splits the current transport and housing bureau into two. He said having the finance chief look after the development and housing bureaus will create synergy. Development of land and provision of housing will be in the best hand of the financial secretary because it relates to, first of all, finding land, which is a key area in relation to financial and development matters. And hand in hand, both bureaus under him will create the synergy. The Executive Council has also endorsed the creation of new deputies for the three top ministers, the Chief Secretary, the Finance Chief and the Justice Minister. 
A survey commissioned by Save the Children suggests four in ten school students here have been exposed to unwanted sexual content online or asked by others to make their own material. Around 1,300 pupils aged between 8 and 17 were quizzed in the study between July 2020 and December 2021. Carol Zito, the chief executive of Save the Children, was asked what the government should do to tackle such online abuse. From a law and policies point of view, we do recommend that because e-safety is such an important topic that requires our attention, we would like to see the authority establish a special commissioner for online safety for children and also associated with it an independent body that can 